Hi everyone, welcome back to the Fowler Hour. Today I'm joined by Sam Does Design, aka Sam Gwilt. He's an industrial designer at Precipice Design over in London. We've been pretty good mates for a little while now, met at one of the future events earlier this year. Sam's actually come on today, not just to talk about industrial design, but to talk about design systems, things like the double diamond, IDO, human-centered design, and all the different practices that you can use to assess your own process and see what is maybe a bit bloated in there, what you can remove, and how to understand exactly what makes a good design process that will be effective and efficient for you. Also, at the end of the show, he's got some tips that are really awesome for those leaving university and starting a new portfolio or even just trying to get an internship. So if that's you, make sure you stick around to the end of today's show. Today's show is also brought to you in part by Skillshare. It's the summer, you don't go outside, like we're graphic designers, well maybe you do, but as a graphic designer, as a brand designer, I don't go outside, but I like learning. So you go over to Skillshare at skl.sh slash design to go and get two free months of Skillshare. Unlimited classes, guys, that's from Gary V, Paula Share, Aaron Draplin and Adobe Certified Instructors if you want to learn some new software. To get those two free months, you need to go to skl.sh slash design and let's start... Let's start today's show with Sam right now. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Fowler Hour. Today I'm joined by Sam Gwilt. The man of Middle Earth, the industrial designer at Precipice London, one of my good London friends. Sam, how are we doing today? Don't you dare take a drink of water. No, 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 no. Hands off. That's a good time drink of water, yeah. Hands (laughs) off, matey. Right, how you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Warm. Yeah, it is is hot. We did pick the wrong day this week to record this, I think. Nice and sunny outside, and I'm just looking like, oh, I wish, I wish we could record this in the park or something. But oh, mate, like if Mark Hirons, Blue Deer Designer, he was talking to me about the other day about his portable setup that he's got, and I was so jealous. I was like, you can just go anywhere and not have to worry <laughs> about cars on the road or it being exactly. 32 degrees or whatever stupid temperature it is today. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so Sam has joined us today. If you don't know who Sam is, go to Instagram or to YouTube and search for Sam Does Design. So Sam is an industrial designer and he'll explain to you what that is in a few moments. But we met at uh, a future event. Was it earlier this year or was it last year? I honestly, I don't even remember. Like, Yeah, time has flown since then. I can't remember when that was. Uh, but yeah, maybe about six months ago so. It was definitely the start of this year. Yeah, for sure. That's when I'm thinking it was anyway. I could go and look, but we're here now. So I met Sam at this event. You were running around with your vlogging camera. That's how we first kind of got introduced. So tell the world and the people listening at home kind of what you do and what an industrial designer does. Mm -hmm. Um, So, hey, I'm Sam and I do design. Um, I... I'm a industrial designer at a design consultancy called Precipice Design. And Precipice Design is a design consultancy that does not only the design side, but we do uh, business strategy, uh, branding, packaging, um, user interface of um, apps, or we do a lot of instruction manuals because we specialize in medical products as well. Um, So we're kind of like this 
this design consultancy that um, focuses on medical design, but we do a lot of consumer electronics and, and consumer goods as well. Um, on the side of that, not only am I an industrial designer at Precipice Design, but I also do my own thing on Instagram, and I do my own thing on YouTube as well, and that is, like you said, where Sam does design is. And what I'm basically doing there is bringing what I'm learning in industry and uh, trying to show people what it's actually like to work in industry because it's a lot different to what people learn um, throughout their education. So I just wanted to be a little bit more transparent about that as well. Um, so yeah, that pretty much sums me up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the, the the big distinctions I wanted to kind of make off the make off the bat that kind of has blown me away in the last few months when I've been speaking to yourself and also Tony Elkington is that there is such a difference between what a product designer is and does and also what an industrial designer is and does. And my brain has always been going, well, a product designer, they make physical products. They make things like consumer electronics like you do. But no, they don't anymore because we have apps and UI and UX and SaaS products. So that's what product designers do now. They work typically with software-based things, whereas you work with the real world, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like I... Because I'm trying, because this trend of UX, UI, and like you say, all, all that good stuff, adopting the word product design, that's Adopt. made me... Do you think they to, adopted it or do you think they just fucking stole it? I think they stole uh, it. Yeah, well, I wanted to be a bit more polite, but they have. And it's <laughs> they did. Dead. It's left me for complete, you know, I don't know what to call myself anymore. So I've had to go back to industrial design, which um, like people listening to this podcast, that would be fine for them to hear. But if I spoke to someone who had no idea about design, uh, the word industrial designer means like, oh, so you design factories or you design um, diggers and stuff like that, which is, it's not the case. It's a it's dream a job, but it's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, you know, that'd be a cool job, but it's just not what I do. Um, I design physical products on an industrial scale, for example. So like mass production, that's that's where the word industrial comes from. You know, it's not batch production or handmade uh, nice things. It's on an industrial scale. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of other words that I can call myself, like item designer. I don't like. I have no idea what else I can say. Um, IRL designer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In real life, mm -hmm. in real life designer, that might work. But yeah. yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to ask you onto the show today obviously we're friends so that's one reason but i also yeah. wanted to to pick your brain a bit and to share some more value with the audience at home who well when you, one of the things you talked about when we met up for a drink uh, a few probably a month or so ago now and you were talking about some different design systems that you have used in the past and the way you've adapted design systems for your own work and in precipice and also outside of precipice as well now, I believe we were talking about a double diamond system, which for mm -hmm. people who are listening at home might have heard of before. It's not something that I see spoken about particularly very much in the design education space, specifically for branding and things like that. I haven't seen it mentioned very much. I've not seen it mentioned on the future. I've not seen it mentioned in any great detail um, on any publications or blogs that are specifically related to branding or logo design or things like that. But the way you were describing it made it sound like it would be really poignant for people to use and really effective for people to use because it's such a it, on paper it's such a simple process but it can be expanded in so many ways so i'm gonna leave you to that because i'm gonna butcher it if i keep talking about it <laughs> if i if i keep talking about it but 
what is the double diamond and what are design systems, Sam? Mm. Yeah, so basically if you, what people think design is, is, uh, oh, I want to sketch something up real quick and then uh, I'm going to make it and then that's the design and it, it, it's going to look pretty and it's going to solve a problem. You know, that's the dream for design. But actually, uh, that is just one tiny, tiny percent of what a design process is, right? So um, you need to take a step back from this hands-on approach of I'm going to sketch something, I'm going to prototype something, and then it's going to be refined and, and made. You need to take a step back from that and realize actually there's a, there's a whole lot that comes before all of that completely um, because the key point is trying to solve a problem or trying to solve a brief. And in the design process, what you actually need to do is find that problem and find that brief. You know, that's not something that comes before um, that is already defined. That falls into the design process in itself. So there are lots of ways to do this and lots of frameworks that you can use. Uh, lots of big design, global design consultancies have um, work kits that you can download and it's actually like a tick box. Have you done this task? Have you done this task? And you go through and it starts literally with like scoping out um, the marketplace, scoping out the current users, scoping out um, everything to do to get as much information. And then it slowly, as you tick off the list, you get more into, okay, now let's do some uh, rapid prototyping. Now let's do some refinement and, and, and you list them off. The problem with the fact that all companies have these uh, work uh, things that you can download, uh, these, these tasks that you can download, is every company has a different mindset. And they might uh, have this task here that is really good to find out these specific elements or this task here that's fine to find out you know, it's really good to find out these specific elements. And you, you realize quickly that um, when companies say our design process is the best, uh, what they really mean is this is the one we use and it works. But the thing is everyone else's works as well. Um, so what the double diamond does is takes a step back even further from those and categorizes specific tasks into the sections of the diamonds. Um, and what this does is lets you take an over an overview of, of where you are in the process. It doesn't matter what tasks you're doing, you can you can be in, in different process. So there are two diamonds to the double diamond process. And uh, those two diamond shapes, and I'm talking like a square diamond, not like a, a carbon diamond uh, that you might see on a ring, like an actual square diamond. Uh, if you split those down in the middle, then you get four sections, right? Uh, if you're looking at it like this. So it looks those, kind of like more than, like if you imagine more than and less than symbols, doesn't it? So it's like more yeah. than, it so it goes up and down and up and down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly why it's called the double diamond process because we, we say that it's divergent thinking and then convergent thinking. And then you meet in the middle. And it's divergent thinking again and then convergent thinking again. So what the four sections basically mean, and I always get these confused, uh, so you'll have to bear with me a second. It's discover, define, develop, deliver. And those four sections are basically the, the four the sections of the double diamond that all of your tasks can fit into in some way or another. So basically what um, discover means is um, you are just scoping out the whole entire 
you'll get you're gathering as much information as you can and this is the the divergent thinking state where you're going out and you're doing um, research and just scoping out the current market and you're just getting data on culture and you're getting data on individuals and you're getting data on just as much you know technology just as much stuff as you can that all relate to the the brief that you've got once you've got all this crazy amount of data then it becomes the divergent thinking stage where you take all of this data and you actually start to make sense of it and you start to look for patterns and you start to look for ways in which problems might arise and you can start grouping things together and make this is like making sense of the world uh, this is that's what that stage is for once you've made sense of all of your data and you've got some um, some trends that you're seeing and you've got some patterns that are emerging as well only at this point after months of research can you find the middle point of the double diamond which is the design problem and this is this is where a lot of designers don't realize the design problem comes only halfway through the project you haven't even started to design anything yet uh, it's all been about finding the problem to solve uh, that you need to move forward with so once you have the problem then you know what you're going to fix then comes the ideation that's more convergent thinking and it's just vast amounts of as much as you can do every avenue that you can try and go down the divergent uh, sorry the yeah the divergent thinking is the the ideation the prototyping and the just everything um nothing there's no wrong answers in this section right once you have as many things as you can and you can go for a, forever on that. Uh, the only thing that stops you is, is time and, and budget by that point. Once you've got as much as you can, then again, it's the, the divergent thinking and it's um, refining and getting ready for manufacture or getting ready for launch. And it's uh, refining down and refining down until you reach the very end of the diamond. And that is when the project is launched um, to the public. So the whole point of the double diamond is to show that a lot comes before actually putting pen to paper. And uh, it's all about defining the problem. It's equal weights problem and equal weights designing the solution to that. Because if you don't have one, then you can't have the other. So that is essentially uh, what it is. I do go into, oh, well, actually I've spoken for a long time about that. I was gonna say I go into some more information on, um, on my YouTube channel about it, but actually I think everyone's got the gist um, now. What I would say that I'm doing on my YouTube channel at the moment is a series called Design in Process, where I am pinpointing and picking out tasks from within the Double Diamond, and I'm designing a product live um, so people can see what my mindset is and, and, and how the different stages will affect that. So if you want to go and check out more about that sort of stuff, like you said before, that's uh, Sam does design on YouTube. Um, and yeah, I'm going to pause for the next question because I've been talking for so long. Yeah, and I've... I think the way you explained it was very clear and concise. Um, the the four Ds, should we say, what were they? Uh, discovery, development, design, delivery. Was that right? Uh, discover, discover, define, develop, deliver. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, I skipped one. Discover, define. Yeah. <laughs> but the way you described it makes sense and I can see quite distinctly the parallels that I have to my own process. I do have a question about it though. So you mentioned that you spend half of the time researching, discovery, uh, defining, and then you get to that singular problem that you're going to solve. Now, if I think about my process, often um, 
your my client would come to me and say, we're having this problem. Mm-hmm. And that might not be the, the actual thing we go off in the end, but it does mean that they're coming and they're saying, we're running into these issues. Maybe they don't have a distinct problem in mind to start with, but how do you approach that kind of client or that discussion by saying, well, you've got these issues, which are great, but let's just kind of go over here for a minute and go and do and explore all of this stuff and then we'll figure out what the problem is. Because I th- I can see how I have that conversation in my own process, but for people listening at home, they might not see, well, how, how do you sign them on if, if you're not going to discuss the problem right away? How do you do strategy and discovery before you've even defined what the thing is we're trying to solve? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. Um, and, and from my point of view, because so, so maybe it's slightly different for me because I'm working in an agency in a consultancy and uh, it literally comes down to two separate teams that do both, right? So we have the, the research team and we have the design team. Um, vaguely speaking, people switch between the two. Um, but because we offer as a service this discovery and defining of problems, that's why clients come to us specifically. Uh, clients also, like you said, come to us and they say, we've got this problem and uh, we need to work through it. And that normally means that it's going to be a slightly cheaper project because they're already skipping half. They've defined their brief already, basically. Yep. 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 So they've done like the work themselves, but the, you know, on their own. But the, the fact that we've got uh, the, the two teams sort of split uh, means that we can take on a project if it's strategic and they need to find problems and, and insights. And we do, uh, we don't like to call it future gazing, but we do future gazing um, as well. So if a client comes to us and say, you know, within the next 10 years, we can see our business declining because markets are changing. What can we do to um, improve sales or improve engagement, whatever. So that will go to the strategic team that we have here and, and, and they run the project on that. Sometimes those projects then filter down into the design side and we get the brief that says, you know, we've, we've established this problem and we need to do this, 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 and then we pick it up from there. Um, so there are, you know, there, there are three types of projects we have. A strategic project only that stops at the strategy stage and then goes off into their in-house team. Um, a design only project where we take on a client that has a specific issue, like you said, and we, we deliver that for them or um, the project that we all really enjoy doing here at Precipice, which is we take it from the strategy side and we move it all the way through to the delivery side as well. Um, so it, you need to find a balance uh, depending on what your client is giving you information-wise about where you start in the double diamond, yeah. Yeah, and I think that also probably depends on the stage at which they're in their business because if you're mm-hmm. getting startups coming to you, they probably need the whole lot. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're working with a business, as you say, that's already established but sees their market declining in 10 years, they're going to be inclined to do their own research because they mm-hmm. know their business and then bring whatever they've got to you. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I think every company is slightly different in that. I mean, we we do work with startups that have done their own research and they're pretty uh, focused on what they need to do. We work with startups that are literally like, oh, oh geez, we've got this funding and we have no idea what to do with it. Like, you know, um, and on the flip side, we work with some of the biggest companies in the world. We work with some corporations, some conglomerates. Um, the big words, the big word companies. Yeah. The big, yeah. The, the big word companies. Um, and yet sometimes they are very specific in what they need. And it's like, oh man, my boss, 
has asked me for this from this department. Can you help me? And we're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. Or it's like, you know, we need to understand the market and um, what we offer as a service is our, our research team that can go out and interview and, and you know, be on the ground in and, and any country that they are targeting market-wise. So, so we offer that as a service as well. Um, so it is really interesting for me as a designer to see all that going on. Um, I don't understand a lot of it because that's, uh, yeah. you know, they, at the end of the day, what, what normally comes to me is like a document that says, this is what we found. These are the insights. Uh, let's work from here. So that's what I tend to see after that. And when you've got this brief, is it very clear as to the process that has been before? So you can see exactly which bits of the diamond have been executed where? Because do you, because that was going to be my next question was that, when it comes to the double diamond, obviously you mentioned that is one system and that's going to work for certain businesses and certain teams and it probably won't work for everyone. So if you're listening at home, go and look at the double diamond, but also go and look at how Sam explains it. Go and look at how other companies explain it because I assume that your personal, if you were to take this on as a full project end-to-end, you'd probably do something different, right? Um, yeah, I mean... the. <laughs> The thing with the double diamond is it's a great framework to understand the process and what goes on. Uh, I was actually talking to Anfisa at Amphisign. I don't know if you know her on Instagram. I do not, uh, but I would love to hear more. Yeah, she, she does a lot of UX stuff. She does um, a lot of how to train in, in UX, UI, that type of stuff. And I think her content is really cool. Um, Amphisign on Instagram, if you want to go check her out. I was having a chat with her and we were saying that you need to learn the theory behind the thing, like the process, learn the theory behind the process. And only then can you decide what corners to cut or not necessarily cut corners, but you know, if, if you've done, if you've done a task once and it applies to another project that's similar, why would you do that task again? Just because the double diamond says, tick this box to move on to the next stage, you know? So what's going to happen is the, the more that you do these projects and the more information you have from previous clients, you can then start to do things faster and you might not do the whole double diamond to the T and you know, you, you can, but that doesn't mean to say that it's cheated and, 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 it, and it's less work. It just means that you've already got that information and you've already got that experience and you can take it to the next project. So what would so, be kind of a generic task that you would skip over or something that is industry applicable rather than just client applicable? Mm, Are you thinking like research think, type stuff? I assume you can't really apply it to like the design phase. It would be more along the lines of the research and discovery phase. Yeah. So what, so what we would do, for example, if we've got a client that is in sector A and we've done a two-year project uh, you know, some of these projects last 10 years even to, to, to get the, the big company's data that they need. So let's say we've got a two-year project for company A, and then um, three years later, uh, company B comes along and it's in a similar sort of uh, industry, let's say uh, fast-moving consumer goods, so things that are bought and eaten, like food and stuff comes into that as well. Um, and you can take the information that you've got and, and, and apply it to that and re-adapt it to that specific uh, new client. Um, so what that might be, 
I'm trying to think of things that, that, that we would do. So, so some background, so some, some background existing market analysis, uh, let's say who are the competitors in this field? Um, you know, you might have some crossover and you go, okay, we've already, anal- we've already analyzed, uh, this company and they're a competitor. They were also a competitor to that company. You know, like there are, there are some things that, that you can merge and reanalyze, for example, but it doesn't mean that you're having to do a whole new document based on this company analysis or, or whatever. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. So you're talking about um, updating and cutting corners for the design system. So you want to continue with that? I was I kind of died, like dragged you off in another direction. But yeah, so where you're cutting corners and, and changing more generic things to not need to be done again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that's what really comes with. Um, so that's kind of like streamlining the, the process. Um, there are, and especially in the design side as well, there, is, there are some things with like, uh, maybe consumer electronics, where if you try a route for one project and then you realize it's not going to work because uh, regulatory this or like legislation that, so actually we're going to dump that um, route. It just means that next time there's a, there's a similar consumer goods product, you know not to go down that route again and or, or you know that you need to go down that route and, and, and move it on slightly. So there are just ways that, will streamline um, the, the, the process, which, like I said, it, it's not about cutting corners, it's about merging things, uh, yeah. So if you were to take your own design process or someone was listening to this at home and they're going, okay, well, Sam's talked about this double diamond thing and I don't have a clue where to start with it or how do I, or I even, I even see some parallels between my own process and the double diamond, particularly, I mean, I, I think about my process and all of those four sections align to something within my process. And it becomes very easy to see those parallels. But if someone was looking at this at home, where would they even go about to say how, um, what's the word? They would assess their own process against someone else's process to see, is there any improvement to be made? Or is it just a case of you've got to go out and test it and try it and see? Yeah, I think that's that's the key point. I think... Um, having a system like that in place means that you can be rigorous with every project, right? Under, so you need to understand the, the process to, to know uh, where you might be wasting some time or where you could spend some more time to get some more insights that's gonna help you later on. And I think it really is, you touched on it earlier on, but going out and, and seeing how other companies do it as well. So one of the, one of the biggest companies out there, design consultancy called IDEO, um, their design kit is, is one of the, um, the kits that I said that you could download. So that's ideal. I think it's literally designkit.org or designkit. I can't remember what the website is actually. Um, but yeah, that is one of the websites that literally gives you the tasks one for one for one. Um, and what IDEO actually, um, invented was human centered design. And then, so this is what, this is my, coming back to my point, saying that these companies are turning their design systems into marketing terms, and then that becomes the industry standard, right? So human-centered design um, led on from user-centered design, and, and it's just that they had the industry clout to actually change everyone's perspective and say, okay, well, human-centered design is, is the standard thing to do. 
And if you want to do that, you go to IDEO. So, and I think there was rumor, I, I, I can't remember if it was true or not, um, but in the 90s, when a, a few people at Precipice were, were working at different consultancies, um, you weren't, they, they weren't allowed to use the phrase ideation, as in sketching lots of little things and, and checking out lots of different routes. They weren't allowed to use the phrase ideation because that is something that IDEO had invented as a term that meant they could sell their process to clients. Wait, um, so they, they'd copyrighted this had they trademarked the word or was it just I'm like not a... sure if they trademarked it or uh, the people in other consultancies were worried that if you said ideation, then the client might think to go to ideo, you know, like I'm You're not like sure summoning exactly... bloody Mary in the mirror. You say it three times and yeah, head and of it becomes development yeah, yeah, appears exactly. from ideo. Yeah. So some, yeah. So, so is, it was just really interesting because this is what I learned at university, right? It was like, this is gospel, human centered design and ideation church of ideo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, um, it's, it's almost like having a, a sports event sponsored by Coca-Cola or something. It's like, Oh, like all of a sudden my design education is sponsored by IDEO and I had no idea about it. So that's kind of like what I wanted to do with this design and process series is like, say, Hey, you know what? There's a lot of companies telling you that their design process is unique and, and different and, 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 you know, the, the best thing since sliced bread to get you the best insights. When actually they're all they're all similar and they're all um, just refraction. You know, they're, they're just different in, in in slightly different ways. So um, they're like a they're like a plus one on their someone else's system, like a slight remix, a slight adjustment with mm -hmm. a new name attached to it, which then, as you say, with industry clout becomes law. So yeah. if I was to compare this to anything, I'm sorry, Chris, but uh stylescapes so the future have trademarked the word stylescapes and it would be like um it would be like me going into a meeting and saying oh guys we can't use the word stylescapes because they've trademarked it and i don't want to lose business to the future or we're going to get sued for putting the word stylescapes in our presentation for example and i can't imagine what that um, especially when it comes to education and imagine being in a, in a lesson and your professor being like, this is word, this word, this process, this thing is owned by another company. I can't imagine what that must be like because you, you feel like you're probably under the thumb of someone else's creative process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and see, cause I didn't realize all the way through university, I had no idea. And then it's finally coming out into the real world. I've come to a different company and uh, working with people who might have worked at IDEO or, or people that have worked at Seymour Powell or, or other big consultancies. Um, and you realize actually, another conversation I had with a coworker recently as well was um, all these companies are saying their design process is the best and come because it's our design process, we think differently than the other companies. Come to us and we will see the world differently to you or to, to, the, to the market. Um, it's, it's funny when you realize that uh, everyone working at a design consultancy has already worked at every single other design consultancy. So if, if all of a sudden the, the company is saying, we think different, well, why is that? Because everyone has, has worked at somewhere else, you know? And again, it's just this, this marketing way of selling a design process. So you're telling uh, me that design processes are just like a cult. Are you telling me they're an MLM? Are you being like, this is ch <laughs> Church of IDEO, Church of Scientology. Like, I, sorry, don't yeah. want to compare those two like that, that harshly. <laughs> but you get the point. The point is that 
there is another way and that you should be open to that ideas yeah my point is it's not gospel that this is the way to do it there is no other way like that that is my point and you can borrow and 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 tweak things from other companies because they're just doing that with each other's design process anyway yeah so when it comes to other design processes who would you say to would be worth to go and look at you've mentioned IDEO and were they the proponent of the proprietors that's the right word the creators Mm -hmm. of double diamond is that correct uh actually the the double diamond was from the british council of of design um and they basically made the double diamond to try and encapsulate as many strategies as many processes as they could so the double diamond is kind of like a catch-all um it's it's really vague in the way that it it you know it's only got four stages and you know it is really vague but that's because it's trying to take a step back and, and show what other companies are doing. Um, so yeah, it's the British council. I think from what I've heard on Twitter, I, I follow them on Twitter and I think they are in the process of actually updating this double diamond process for the, you know, for the, for the uh, stage of UX design uh, for the age of UX design, because maybe it's slightly different for UX. This is from what I gather, just reading through threads. Uh, I'm not sure what they would change about it. I have seen that people online have uh, adapted it and added more more sections into it. Um, so yeah, but for now, it's it's a it's a pretty good way of just encapsulating what goes on, and it's a really simple way actually of showing a client. You know, this is what because for a lot of people, for a lot of clients, they still haven't got their mindset over the fact of it's like oh you know just you just push the Photoshop button and then it's done. You know like in, in their mind. So to show them this diamond and to show them this, this um, diagram that shows, actually there's, there's more to that. The Photoshop button is like a sliver of it, right? Um, so it's, it's a good way to explain to them too, yeah. Yeah, so what else, what other systems are kind of out there? So if the council, the British council's got one working with a double diamond, you've mentioned IDEO's got their own system as well. Yeah. But where else can people go to find resources like this um, that would be beneficial for them to to assess their own work process against? Because I can name the future, I can name IDEO, and now I can name the British Council, and obviously mm-hmm. the video content that you put out into the world as well too. But where else can people go to kind of explore this potentially new idea of design systems that they've not even heard of before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like to to find out um, I think that the companies that are most transparent about their process are going to be the biggest companies in the world, right? There's a lot of smaller companies that are so um, like, oh, I don't want to tell anyone how I'm doing this because for some reason, and Precipice, I'll be honest, uh, is kind of like that at the moment. And I'm trying to get them to say like, hey, if you share your process for free, people will understand you are the expert in that process, right? So um, I think smaller companies aren't the, the places to go. I'm thinking like IDEO, I'm thinking Frog Design, um, I'm thinking Seymour Powell, um, I'm sure there are other huge, uh, I mean these are industrial and, and brand strategy uh, companies but I'm sure there are so many big companies um, in, in other fields as well but you'll find that uh, a lot of the times then they will list their process in a more articulate way than a small company will. Uh, other uh, frameworks that you can look at are things like the Design Squiggle, 
um, which is just a really nice piece of, it's just one graphic um, and it just sums up um, a slightly different way of thinking about it. It's not listing off tasks and things like that, but it, the design squiggle, I use the design squiggle as uh, my intro to the designing process, uh, the title, um, Sting. And it basically shows that at the start of the process, it's so mangled and so um, you're crossing over yourself and you're going left, right, back, forth, and, and you're jumbled up. And it, it can feel like that as well, the, the start of the process when you don't necessarily know what problem you're solving, or you don't necessarily know what route to take. Uh, it, it's just everything is crazy. And then as you go through the process slightly more, um, the line uh, straightens out and it becomes more flowing. And then all of a sudden at the end, uh, that's when it's a nice straight line because you know exactly where you're going and, and you and you work towards that. So the design squiggle is a really nice way of showing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that's exactly how I kind of feel sometimes, or I'm sure people at home feel as well when you're doing, I don't know, some branding or working on a new website and you need to go and do some research. It does feel like that. It does, especially if you maybe don't have a complete checklist of exactly what you're trying to do. Even then, you'll just be going back on yourself. I'll be going back through words and keywords and phrases and I'll be reviewing, oh, they said this during the call, therefore maybe I should try doing something along those lines. We need to explore this, we need to explore that. And say, eventually, it all kind of blends together until you've just got one straight solution to come out of all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the, the design squiggle, it's, um, I can't remember who invented it. Oh, that's going to bug me now. I, I did a video on design and process specifically about the design squiggle and I can't remember who made it, but it's, a uh, you, you've made the information into a video and now it's just disappeared. Exactly. It's like next thing. Yeah. yeah it, it, out. It, it is. We've recorded actually, the video. Yeah. It's, it's so much like that. In fact, the people comment on old videos like, oh, how did you do this thing here? And I'm like, oh, I have no idea what you're even on about. And actually, I've even made a tutorial um, for Keyshot in the past where I learned how to do something uh, for, uh, in, in my rendering uh, software. And then like three weeks later, I needed to do it again. And I was like, hang on, how did I do that? So I had to go back and watch my own tutorial on YouTube so I could figure out how I did it. That's it. I just thought that was so um, funny. So yeah, it does seem to be a lot like that at the moment. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I've started recording everything I do, or at least recording the bits that have the most changes or the most impact, or if I notice something. So I'll have like NVIDIA, I think it's Shadow Play, and it runs in the background. So I can then just push one button and it will save the last five minutes of screen. Oh yeah. Which, that's means, that, which means that if I make something that is kind of more unique or I were like, oh crap, I wanted to save this process. Like I haven't missed anything. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I feel the same way. Sometimes I'll be going back through the same video over and over and over again. There's a, there's a Sean West video that I watch about writing out a blog outline. So it's like how to write the next five months worth of blog outline content in 10 minutes or however long it is. And every single time I have to go and watch it again and be like, I know this process is stupidly simple, but just the way he says it makes perfect sense. And <laughs> yeah. I, you just you just sometimes need that trigger to be able to, especially when it's something that you do regularly. You just need to refresh yourself. And I think people forget that a lot. Mm, yeah, yeah. Or we're just idiots. Like it's one of the two. Like I don't, well, maybe there's just so much going in that something's got to leak somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that might have something to do with it as well. Yeah, especially when it comes to actually being able to sit down and design something, especially when you've been running multiple projects or you've been trying to research loads of different things. 
when you get to a certain point, it's like, ah, crap. Now, what yeah. do we do here? Because yeah. I found that, especially with logo design, there are stages that I feel like I can skip over in my brain. So one of the things that caught my attention recently was an industrial designer um, called Oki Sato at Nendo. And he was explaining that very, very eloquently in his quiet Japanese tone was saying that he sits down with his brief, he understands the problem, and then he does like three or four sketches or spends like 10 minutes on it. And that's it. Because he knows that if he'll just go round and around and around and around like the design squiggle and his system will just be completely ruined because he'll just overthink everything. So he picks this kind of literally a napkin sketch with these weird people drawings and just ships it. And they're like, right, 3D print it, let's go. <laughs> and it, it, that's exactly kind of what this reminds me of, that design squiggle process is you can, you can go round and round and round and round and round, but at some point that squiggle needs to get smaller. You need to refine and pick out what's actually working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the more, the more times that you do it, um, the more, like you say, you know, Nendo, people worship Nendo for their process. Like the, everything they do is just so simple because like you say, it's not overthought. It's, um, but I can guarantee that's because uh, they've done the squiggle so much in the past that they know that squiggle inside out now. So they don't need to keep going back on themselves and checking. They, they know, okay, I need to go here. I need to do this. Uh, you know, I, I think about this one and then done. Yeah. Everything else that they've explored and hasn't worked in the past, they can just skip. Uh, so yeah, that comes with experience too. Yeah, it definitely does come with experience. And I mean, they don't really blog very much about what they do, but in the interviews that I've seen with Oki, it's that they have something like 400 projects on the go at any one time. Wow. Which is which is insane to even consider. Yeah. So you don't have the time to overthink it. You don't have the time to go through a process that obviously their process is fairly structured and they know what they're doing, but you don't have the opportunity to go through something that is full of bullshit, basically. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. bloated. And I think a lot of people's processes probably are really, really bloated. Um, it's things like I know when I do research, I will use Pinterest for a lot of my, my brand research. And I know that certain keywords will not ever get me the results I want. If you ever put the words vintage, heritage, um, old photo, anything like that into Pinterest, you will just get pictures of Marilyn Monroe and Elvis. <laughs> that is what happens. And there's, there's no way to get around it. The only yeah. way to get around it is to go somewhere else or pick different keywords. So I know through that experience that that's a bloated section of my process. I need to pick keywords that actually get results. Um, and I think potentially listening to you talk about the, the, the double diamond, it, although it's quite a basic example of a framework, it's very clear cut and it's very much like you have four sections. Like within those four sections, you can adapt and change and do whatever. But you have the, with those four sections, you have the opportunity to build something that's your own but is also not completely bloated because i mean we we hear about bloatware all the time you hear about adobe products being full of bloatware because they just crash for absolutely no reason you press that photoshop button and the client goes why is it not working well it's because <laughs> it's crashed 10 times today guys but yeah. when that kind of bloat comes in and you recognize these problems with your process is it a case as you say of, of literally just examining and reflecting on that have you ever had those kind of problems at precipice or with your own work that 
you think something's gone the right way and then you've hit a massive stumbling block that has to be rectified next time? Um, I mean, if there's something <laughs> private, then don't share that. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was going to say, like, in your there's, own, there's in your own process. Recently, there's some stuff happened recently at work that um, the team here are not too, too happy about, and I'm not going to name clients' names, um, but uh, let me think of another one at university before I go on a tangent about that and get myself fired. Yeah, please don't get yourself uh, fired. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I actually just think that this whole um, bloat within the process comes from design education, um, stemming even from school. I thought, well, whoa, this is something huge to unpack. I think that design education all the way down to um, uh, GCSE is wrong. <laughs> and I think um, the process that they teach, and it's like literally... Uh, they try and teach like a, a checkbox, right? Have you done this task? Then you get a C. Have you done this and this task? And you get a B. Um, that is wrong because then it teaches you that I've put more effort in, so now it is better. Whereas actually, that's not the case at all. Like uh, effort does not mean being good. So if you are, if you find yourself um, spending time doing stuff that isn't getting results. That just means it's not getting results. You can't bank that and say, you know, oh, I've put 17 hours in this week of this task. Or what have you learned from that? And how does it help the project? And, and, and understanding that you, you need to be able to cut that stuff out. Uh, you know, like you said, it, it might be too late on one project and you need to wait for the next one. But analyzing that within your own process and, and um, figuring out the way you can fix it in the next project, that is what is going to make a good project next time. Um, you know? So uh, I was going to try and sneak in some like asking for a friend stuff by, by saying an analogy from, from Precipice, but I, I don't think I can pull it off. No, without, leave but, it, leave it, leave it. Yeah. I don't want to, <laughs> the joy of this podcast is it's so informal and relaxed and I don't, I try to go in with very loose topic headers, but maybe next time if you want to come back on and you can share a story, write it down because it would be great to hear something from an actual workplace yeah. um but mm -hmm. i don't want anything you say here to be construed in a manner that a i have to edit later that's my main thought <laughs> that's no, the I'm thing. Kidding. no i'm kidding I don't, I don't want you to get fired or anything like that but um yeah. you're right I, I i distinctly remember being at year nine so uh how was that that's like 14 um and being told what gcses would you like to pick so these are kind of entry-level qualifications uh, for schooling for people in the US who are listening and I remember looking at the graphic design course and what like graphic design GCSE walking into that room and there was not there was like one computer open and even then it felt weird like they were still drawing stuff out on paper they were still making collages and I'm like this is what the and I think about it now and I just go none of this was graphic design or it was so outdated that the curriculum that if you took that GCSE, you may as well have just gone and like smacked a bucket in the janitor's room for a year because that's you would have achieved the same result. Like it wasn't, it was never going to be something that could be practically used at any level. And I mean, you talk about your degree level where you explain that you've got a curriculum that is one size fits all, so to speak. But you're right. It, it the the root of the issue it goes back further. But then you start applying more advanced systems to that process. So yeah, 
I mean, education. We know education is full of rubbish most of the time. As well, not. I mean, bloat. But yeah, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. And that, again, that brings me back to just say, you know, I'm trying to. What, what I want my YouTube to be is like I'm the spy on the inside of the industry, like reporting back, like doing weekly reports, like, hey, you know, this has happened, or like, you know, uh, the the spy on the inside, because the at the wall, no stage, yeah. Yeah, like at no stage of any design education do they actually show you what it's going to be like. And, and I, I feel like more and more, the stuff that goes on online, the future, this podcast, you know, like all the stuff that people have access to, it just goes to show that you can learn so much more in less time and it's more efficient and, and, and it's probably a better way to do it because uh, it's simulating more the real world anyway. Um, and, and learning about the processes that people are using in the real world and not learning about the mark scheme and what's going to get you the A instead of the B because you've done this task and this task because that's not how the world works at all. Yeah, yeah and it, it does. I went to Lydia's graduation show, um, but Lydia obviously does illustration, so everyone has, even with the same brief, everybody's work is extremely distinct. Um, and there are, there are a few people who are fairly similar, but that's because their skill sets were not as high as other people's. But... Regardless of that, you walk around some of the other areas, you go around things like interior design, architecture, um, some of the animation guys, and some of graphic design. And a lot of the work you can see, they have the same brief, which is fine. That's how university projects work. That's how they mark and grade people based on an average level. But a lot of the work did feel very similar. Mm. Yeah. And Sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say this, that's exactly the problem that people from university are, are going to find when they apply for jobs because uh, everyone's work is the same. <laughs> so they, they, so what, cause, cause I look at a lot of portfolios uh, at work here and I, I do some portfolio reviews on my YouTube as well, right? Review subscriber portfolios. And uh, I'm maybe not sure about illustration or graphic design. I don't tend to see a lot of those, but industrial design and product design, uh, people will still put like the, the module title in their portfolio. Like, oh, design for manufacture, uh, DM3484. This is, you know, the project for that module. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what, like, what? <laughs> it just baffles me. Like, is that what people think industry is like? Like listing, I've done this module and this module and this module. It doesn't mean anything. Um, and yeah, it's just something that, I'm still trying to, to wrap my head around a little bit, really. I, I think you're right that it just means that the system is wrong. And maybe they need to look at their double diamond and see, hmm, how is this working? But I was actually speaking to... It's, well, it's the same point that you've just made. Whenever someone comes and asks me, like, I've just got out of uni, what do I... Well, I'm sorry, I'm just going to apply for uni, or I've just got out of uni. What do I need to do with my portfolio? And I say, scrap most of it go and make something different or make sure you have something in there that is different and you ask other people how to make a portfolio because your portfolio coming out of university will be the same as everybody else's exactly yeah and that's why i one of the reasons i think so many people struggle to get a job for six to 12 months which is kind of the common theme for graphic design people leaving university is because they don't do that is because they have not done their own critical thinking or done thinking about their portfolio that allows them to be distinct. Now, quick shout out to someone who I met. Was it the Design Week 
exhibition. Was that what it was called? The one recently? Oh, I can't remember what it was. The one in Angel that we both went to? Oh, there was... Um... Oh, now you put me on the spot. <laughs> I can't remember. I'll put the link to it or something in yeah. the description. But um, I met someone there called... Uh, I've got his name on LinkedIn, called Tom Clark. And regardless of the situation running up to that, we it was a graphic design course, but he did a project on brand strategy. And he was the only person there who I went through all of these stands and the only person there who I'd seen do a project with brand strategy. And I almost walked away from his stand and he was... It was quite lucky that he was actually there. Um... I was basically trying to, I picked his project up and I was like, I need his business card so I can talk to him. Where is his business card? And it was just one of those stalls where they put it all in a different place. And I'm like, this is stupid user experience. Like <laughs> I would walk away. But um, this guy, Tom Clark, uh, he came up to me and we were talking about his brand strategy project. And I was like, you need to chase this. If you want to do this, chase it now. Yeah. yeah. Don't let this go. Because this is what has, well, this is what helps you be distinct from everyone else who's gonna be applying for jobs. Because no one else around you is thinking about brand strategy and going to become a junior strategist. No one has a project as good as this to back it up. And he has since gone on and chased it and he's now looking for internships. He's won multiple DNAD awards. He's got on one of their um, one of their programs for postgrads and things like that. And it's just, when I looked at him and I went, there's something different about you. You might not quite understand it, but I see it. I didn't even go to university for design and someone coming out and being like, I want to get into brand strategy. I'm like, chase that, like never <laughs> let that go. Cause someone, cause you have something that most people leaving that course don't have. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting as well, because uh, some of the biggest advice I would give to anyone doing their portfolio or coming out of school or coming out of university is um, the, the skills that you have just learned within the past year doing your project, are the skills that you needed to do the project, right? But you were learning them as you were doing the project. So my advice would be carry on doing the project. Now you have the skills. The deadline doesn't matter. And it doesn't mean it's finished. Like you were telling that person, keep going with this project. Um, that make is a, new a one, revelation like, for yeah. some people that they've they realized, oh, I can carry on working on this project. The deadline for universities passed, but that, that, that deadline doesn't mean anything in, in industry redo it or, or carry on with it because you're a better designer or a better strategist than you were when you started, you know? You can always uh, just make your own brief. Like I, yeah. I still do that all the time, particularly with things like what I'm doing with Inferno at the moment, I need to make projects. So what I do is I write out a full brief, we do the whole thing, we do user profiling, we do the whole shebang, and then we Go and do the work. And you need to do that if you're a university student, I think, anyway. You, well, you do more reviews of portfolios. I try and stay away from that. I just yell at people on Instagram. But <laughs> when it comes to those types of topics and making sure that you get a foot in the door, like, what would be your, your kind of main kind of condensed tips for people who are either leaving university or trying to get a job in industry uh, at any age with their portfolios? I think we've, we've, we've spoken about the big one, is, is, which is uh, work on projects that set yourself apart. So that's your own projects. Uh, that doesn't have to be real world client stuff. That can be your own project, doesn't matter. Uh, just make it different to design for manufacturer, DM, three, four, or whatever I said. Um, so that, that's tip number one. Um, I would say it's, it's important to 
specifically know which company you want to apply for. So your portfolio should be tailored specifically to that company. So it's not like a, a catch-all portfolio. What, what I think portfolios are is if it's one, uh, one size fits all, it's actually one size fits no one. Because you're trying to just like, you know, I'm going to do some graphic work. I'm going to do some branding work. I'm going to do some strategy work. In, in industrial design, what I see is like, oh, I'm going to do some automotive design, do a sketch of a car. Now I'm going to do some... Um, kitchen blender design now i'm going to do some uh rollerblades design it's like whoa hang on like does any of this actually does the company that you're applying for actually do any of these things because you need to show the company that you are already doing the work that they need help with that's that's what i would say um so yeah pinpoint the company do your own projects um and don't be afraid to go for an internship uh um that that is the best way to understand if you are going to like the industry or not or like you say oh i've done an internship a consultancy didn't like it so much so now i'm going to go and think about in-house or you know that like that's a really great way of doing that so don't shy away from that don't try and get a job just to for the sake of saying that you've got a, a full-time job uh there's no pressure to do that whatsoever so yeah i think try because once you've got that internship too, then that's experience. So then you can use that to get a job, you know, like it's all going to flow on from each other. So off the top of my head, I think those, those three things are going to be the, the, the best tips I can give. Yeah, for sure. Especially, I like the idea of going and look at the companies that you want to work for and either tailoring your CV or your cover letter or, or your portfolio to stuff that they actually do, because no one wants to see, like if you're going to go and work for, I don't know, a clothing brand's I don't know, try and get an internship at Adidas or something. You don't really want to be making branding projects for your local dairy farm. Mm. Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's just not going to appeal to them unless you do something completely radical with sneakers for it. Like it's just not going to appeal. And when it comes to, say, all those tips, go and listen to those uh, and listen back to those again that Sam has just said and make sure your portfolio matches up to that so that when you go and apply, you can use whatever you've made and sell it because it's much harder to sell someone else's brief than one you've either created yourself or even one you've done on spec uh, for free for a kind of a trial client or something like that. Yeah, yeah. There is, so uh, one more tip that I would say is um, the way that you lay out the portfolio. Uh, actually, um, I did a, a, an article for Yanko Design. So I don't know if I can How link people, that in the description for you. Yeah, cool. So, so the, the design, the, the article for Yanko Design was top five tips for your portfolio in 2019 or something like that. I didn't write the title. Um, but that's basically um, understanding that it's telling a story within the portfolio itself. So it's telling the story of the project from start to finish. Maybe you, you only need to show the process um, and, and the decision making, it's not just about showing the nice pretty thing at the end, it's about the decision making. Because what actually, uh, in industry, everyone can make pretty things, really. Uh, everyone can do it, but it's the decision making and the thought process behind that that is gonna differentiate uh, as well. So uh, yeah, check out the article if you wanna see how I specifically lay out my portfolio uh, I show slides from my personal portfolio that I've put together as well. So yeah, uh, that's that's another tip that I would say. Fabulous. Awesome. Right. Well, Sam, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Where can people find you on the internet? People can find me all over the internet at Sam Does Design. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. 
I do have a Twitter that I scroll a lot, but I don't post a lot. Um, so uh, yeah, those are the three main places. Oh, and you can also check out my website, www.samdoes.design. And that is everything that I can think of right now. Fabulous. I'd highly recommend going and subscribing to Sam's YouTube channel and go and check out his latest process series so you can really get a grasp of what we've been talking about here today. So thank you to Sam again for joining us for today's show. Be sure to come back next week, same time, same place. And if you are listening to this on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or iTunes or any of the random Apple apps they have right now, please leave us a five-star review and any kind of comments you have about today's show, and I'll read them out on the next solo episode that I do. So thank you very much for tuning into the show, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye for now.